Hey, it's Buck here today with my good friend and vice president of the Jim Ellis Automotive Group, Stacy Ellis. Stacy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking, Buck. So how are things at Jim Ellis Automotive these days? Things are good. I mean, of course, we're still adjusting to the loss of my dad, who was running the business, and my grandparents, who founded the company, but we're finding our way. Stacy, I can't imagine that, that kind of loss in such a short period of time, let alone the impact on the business. Fortunately, we surrounded ourselves with a great team, so that really helps us a lot. Now, any truth to the rumors about Jim Ellis being sold? (laughs) We have no plans to sell the business. If anything, we're looking to grow. In addition to some new facilities, we're going to focus on what's worked in the past, making car buying quick, easy, and convenient. Well, speaking from experience, Stacy, I couldn't be happier with my recent purchase from Jim Ellis. That's great. Our motto is expect the best. Visit JimEllis.com. All the information you need is just a click away. Doesn't get any easier than that. Find your next vehicle at Jim Ellis Automotive. Cream all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show. It's hour two on a Thursday. We're talking college football. It's what we have done since we cut the ribbon back in 2014. Nine states and 60 sticks. What a blessing. I thank y'all every single day. If we go back just a couple of years ago, Brian Kelly showed up in Baton Rouge and, well, I'm happy to be here. And then Max Johnson stepped forward and said, hello, uh, I'm the quarterback. And he's like, I'm not my quarterback. Uh, you could be if you would like to compete, but you're not my quarterback. And Max Johnson said, Max, out. So he left. Um, there are just abrupt introductions sometimes. I don't believe anything of that sort took place in Tuscaloosa. Uh, Jalen Milrow looks like one of the just, I mean, this the most intriguing, scintillating, blue sky possibility quarterbacks for the entire 24 season. And he has a whole new everything except running backs coach on that side of the ball. So it's going to be a challenge, even though he's not going to transfer out to anywhere else because he got a rude awakening. It's still, this is a big deal for him this spring coming up. Want to welcome on right now, Bama 247's Cody Goodwin. Cody, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you guys having me. Oh, I thank you for your time. Uh, Give us a flyover. What will Jalen Milrow's spring be like? Because he's the QB, but he wasn't their QB. Like he's got everything he does. He will be doing for the first time live in front of the new staff. Yeah, man. He's uh, it's going to be a really intriguing spring for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, but he is, he's the incumbent, right? He started 13 games last year, ended up receiving first place votes for the Heisman trophy, uh, guided the Crimson Tide to an sec title. We know all of that, but you nailed it. Like this is, you know, a different offense, right? It's going to be Kalen DeBoer's offense. Now it's going to be a little bit more, spread concepts um you know and so it's going to be you know among other things it's going to be really interesting to see how DeBoer kind of puts the pieces together with all the personnel now on Alabama's roster and um obviously Jay LaMuro at quarterback is going to be one of the more intriguing things there because you've got him you've got Ty Simpson who's maybe a better pure passer than Milrow just kind of pound for pound but then you've also got Austin Mack who transferred in after redshirting at Washington with this staff last year so you talk about you know Milrow maybe not being his guy Austin Mack is one of their guys so um, you know I'm not saying there's a quarterback battle but it will be kind of interesting to see how these things get sorted out when they start spring practice next week. 
Talk about Nick Sheridan best you can. Um, and you can because he can speak. Uh, that is another thing. Kalen DeBoer's like, yes, uh, assistant coaches, they can they can talk. Um, what do we know about Nick Sheridan and what should Bama fans expect? Yeah, man, he uh... – I tell you what, just from a media perspective, very excited to talk to the assistant coaches, not only this spring, but, you know, it seems like he's going to, you know, DeBoer is going to hold serve on that through the regular season too, which is going to be great for us just to kind of paint a fuller picture of what this program's looking like. But no, Nick Sheridan's a guy that's, you know, he's been with DeBoer, a um, few different stops on their, you know, coaching journeys. They were together at Indiana in 2019. They've been together at Washington the last couple years. Um, you know, this is a guy, Nick Sheridan, who, you know, he was a quarterback in Michigan. He was coaching the quarterbacks at Indiana under Tom Allen before DeBoer showed up as the offensive coordinator, um, made the switch to coach tight ends, which, you know, I think that maybe kind of opened his eyes a little bit more to kind of what the rest of the offense entails and more specifically what all kind of, you know, what are all the bells and whistles in DeBoer's offense. So got a lot of experience there, got a lot of experience doing the same thing at Washington the last couple of years. And clearly this is a guy DeBoer trusts, right? Like he, you know, Ryan Grubb was going to be the OC at Alabama, but ultimately decided to take the job with the Seahawks. And, um, you know, I think it says a lot that DeBoer, you know, very quickly, decided to move, uh, you know, Nick Sheridan over to that offensive coordinator role. Obviously, they've got Jamarcus Shepard down there, too. Um, you know, talented, talented, high-energy receivers coach. Um, so he's got the co-offensive coordinator tag. So I think it's going to be a collective group effort that's going to follow DeBoer's lead when it comes to the offensive side of the football. But, um, you know, Nick Sheridan, he's a young guy. Um, obviously a former quarterback, so he's going to help relate to those guys in that room. And, um, you know, anytime you get the opportunity to learn under Kalen DeBoer when it comes to the offensive side of the ball, uh, can't be a bad thing, right, given his track record. Today's truest reporter for Alabama from Bama 247. It's Cody Goodwin. Um, am I correct? It may change. I hadn't checked in the past 12 hours. Still Roach and Gillespie, right? Just the only two holdovers? They were the only two holdovers, okay. Freddie Roach on the oh. D-line and uh, Robert Gillespie running backs. Okay. The reason I want to ask that is because uh, it was pretty clear and it was confirmed and it was consistent. Brian Harson did not spend all his time on the back roads dropping off donuts and bagels at high school football coaches' offices. Did not do that nearly enough. How do you true love a five-star in-state receiver who decommitted from you if it's just the running backs coach and the D-line coach, how do you get that done? Because that's a, that's a major, major commentary on what this could grow into in state. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when DeBoer got the job and he was able to kind of get all his guys signed a term sheet so that they could start recruiting, um, you know, he was they, they kind of went all four cold full court press on Ryan Williams, who's the five-star receiver that you're talking about. He, he very, he quickly decommitted within hours after Nick Saban announcing his retirement, you know, a couple months back. Um, and when they, you know, when they arrived here, they were like, Hey, like this is a guy that we probably need to shore up the 2024 recruiting class. So they went on the offensive, right? That DeBoer's there explaining his offense. Um, Sheridan's there. Um, you know, explaining the role that he's going to play. Shepard's obviously there talking to him about, you know, the developments of Roman Dunze and Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan. And here's what you can do here. Here's what I can help you with. Um, you know, and then when they had an official visit weekend, I think it was, you know, around mid or late January, Ryan Williams was kind of the star dude there. Like they had a couple of transfers in who were kind of checking out the place and seeing if they wanted to follow DeBoer from Washington. But, you know, they really kind of set up that weekend specifically for Ryan Williams. Um, obviously they had done a really good 
good job laying the foundation and, and reforming those relationships with the staff. And, you know, Roach and Gillespie obviously did a lot of work there just to kind of, you know, keep the pipeline open a little bit. And then they allowed DeBoer and Shepard and those guys to kind of come in and, and put the hammer, you know, put, put the hammer down to kind of finish the job there. But yeah, man, I, this is huge because it's, you know, Ryan Williams is as decorated of a recruit as the state of Alabama has ever seen. First time in state history that, um, you know, they've had a player that has won Mr. Alabama, you know, Alabama's Mr. Football two consecutive years. He reclassified. He only recently turned 17 years old. He reclassified to the 2024 yep. recruiting class and, and maintained his blue chip status. This could be really, really big, you know, not only just getting him to sign, but, you know, if he becomes a superstar in this offense like Shepard and DeBoer believe that he can be, um, going to go a long ways with creating those inroads with the next crop of, you know, in-state superstar athletes. And Alabama's got a ton of them every year. All right, I want to ask you about J.C. Latham because big fan of his. And I had commented during his career that, like, Andre Smith and Cyrus and, like, Cam Robbins, they ruined it for everybody. Like, we expected you to be Jonah, like, show up, start three years, and then be a first-round pick. And it took J.C. Latham just, a, like, a tiny second. And folks were like, well, you're not Andre Smith. I'm like, Andre Smith was a all-conference as a freshman and a two-time All-American as a sophomore and junior. Um, that's rarer than we realize because it's Bama. Tell me about J.C. Latham. Tell me about his three-year path because he's now like in the 15 to 30 range depending on what somebody wants to spend on a right tackle. That kid, it wasn't like an immediately successful like Cam Robinson sort of thing for him. No, he did not like – he wasn't one of those dudes that stepped into the lineup immediately. He was a blue-chip player, but, you know, yep. when he joined the program, right, they had, you know, Alabama under Saban just had the recruiting train rolling. So there wasn't a need to kind of install this blue-chip guy immediately right away. So I think his first year he played less than 150 total snaps, you know, just kind of getting his feet wet a little bit, trying to see, you know, what does he need to do, what's the speed of the game like, this, that, and the next. Um, these last two seasons he's been the dude at right tackle for Alabama. Alabama, right? Um, I, I think the, the magic number is 1,750 total snaps played. So that's 1,750 snaps played the last two years. He's given up a grand total of four quarterback hits over 1,700 plus snaps. Like he's been everything that he was advertised to be when he was coming out of IMG as a blue chip guy. He held down the right side of Alabama's offensive line. Um, you know, and on top of that, like he, he really kind of ballooned up quite a bit. He put on a lot of muscle between last season and this past season. Uh, went from 6'6", 330 to about 6'6", 360. And you really didn't see a whole lot of drop-off in athleticism. He was still able to move laterally very well, quick feet. Um, and that added strength kind of made it so that this past season, if he got his hands on the defender, the rep was over. He wanted yeah. like, that's, you know, one of the many things I think we're excited to see at the NFL combine this next week is JC Latham on the bench press. Um, Cause we want to see how many reps that he can get. I'm not saying he's going to set the combine record, but wouldn't surprise me to see him hit, you know, 20, 30 reps at 225. I think he's that big. He's that strong. And he's going to make some NFL franchise in the first round. Really, really happy. Uh, Cause they're just, he's going to be a plug and play guy at right tackle and he's going to be good for many many years it'll get your attention when you see like a 280 pound sec defensive end get popped and back up a half step with like a punch from an offensive lineman and i'm like that's okay like you know put a star next to that play um and i do want to ask you about somebody commented about with jc uh and also i included julio jones um Julio apparently like defensive backs were like, I don't like practicing against. He beat you up for two hours and 20 minutes. I hate practicing against Julio. He was the best player on the team. Might've been the best player in the SEC. And the word was 
got the dog. Uh, he'll get after you, uh, most competitive, whatever. And that was a Bama player trait under Nick Saban. Would you agree with that? That was something the NFL said. This differentiates you from maybe maybe another prospect from another uh, program. I'm interested to see how that, that reputation continues. Yeah, I think all the Alabama guys at the the Combine this week are going to flash that a little bit. You know, Terry and Arnold, I believe, is talking today. Kool-Aid McKinstry will talk a little bit later today. Um, you know, Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell were talking yesterday. You know, those edge rushers. Dallas I mean, Turner's Latham went it. up against – yeah, J.C. Latham went up against those edge rushers every day for the last two years in practice. Imagine how much better you'll get and how much your mentality shifts if you're winning a few reps against a Dallas Turner, against a Chris Braswell, against a Will Anderson at times, you know, during the 2022 season when he had his tremendous, you know, senior or junior season before he was, you know, the number two or number three overall pick. Like, that's – that kind of like a lot of the best Alabama teams were player led. That was something that Nick Saban really liked to kind of establish right out of the gate during fall camp that, Hey, we, we need our leaders to step up. JC Latham was one of those leaders last year. And I know Alabama's offensive line struggled quite a bit, but you know, he was still able to stand up there every day, whether it was a good day or a bad day, a good game or a bad game for the offensive line. And, you know, Hey, here's what we did, right? Here's what we did wrong here. Are the little things that we need to do really good sign of, of maturity and leadership there out of JC Latham. And I think he has a lot of those same traits that a lot of the best Alabama players have had over the last few years. Two, four, seven CBS sports, Cody Goodwin. I appreciate you, friend. Appreciate you having me on, man. Always fun talking ball. Yes, sir. Truist reporter for the Alabama Crimson Tide for us. Um, appreciate the time. It's real. It was just one of those things. It would always show up. And here's, like, they had a head start, and they had a little bit of a, I'm going to call it a, quote, a cheat. I'm kind of having fun. But Alabama was always a little more likely to put those players in the NFL uh, for anyway. Chuck, how, what is it? Water in Tuscaloosa? No, 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 no. It was a little, 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 tiny amount more what a Saban staff, as much turnover as there was, what they would evaluate, just a little bit more than maybe another staff. It was one of those non-negotiable sort of whatevers. Chris Landry, actually, I brought him up a couple of times today it's just so because he has history with Saban, and we've been talking Bama. Uh, he told a story one time, and I'll I'll I, I'll use an edited version of the language, but he said they were working for Belichick up in Cleveland, and he said this is Nick Saban and about the type of guy he'll he he won't even consider. Um, y'all remember Dale Carter? Dale Carter was an unbelievable player at Tennessee, and defensive back and punt returner. Well. It's a it's a workout. It's like a pro day. And he's back there fielding punts, and he muffs one. And Johnny Majors is the head coach. And says, Chris Landers said, me and Nick Saban are standing there. We're watching him, like, because we're scouts from Cleveland. And there's scouts from other people. And he's like, the ball, he muffs it. And Johnny, his head coach, Johnny Majors, who was the runner-up for the Heisman Trophy. And Johnny Majors, who was just another human being that maybe you would respect, but Johnny Majors, the head coach who's trying to help him in front of pro scouts, says, hey, make sure you do this. <laughs> like, just some sort of help. Just some sort of whatever. And according to Chris, he looked over at his head coach and said, I'll do whatever the F I want. Said, Saban, we're not drafting this guy. He's not turning around and walking. I said, I don't care. I said, we're not drafting him. 
Now, Landry Lazak, now I had the keys to the rental car, so I knew he wasn't going anywhere. But he's, he's, he, but I knew you couldn't go back to Belichick and not have a scouting report. Um, but that was Nick. He was like, uh-uh, uh-uh, will not have him under any circumstances. When you're Alabama, you can cross guys off the list for all kinds of reasons. Place him with another blue-chip kid. So... That's just one story, and it was it was a true, real thing. If you go back and look at the draft profiles for so many kids coming out of Tuscaloosa, uber-competitive, uber-competitive, uber-competitive. He'll fight you, uh, and in that way you like. Courtney Hupshaw turned himself into a second-round draft pick just by, I don't know, hitting people, um, being big, sturdy, impossible-to-move dude off the edge who would rock you. Uh, just a really, really good ball player. All right, uh, we break. We continue. To the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Today on the Chuck Oliver Show because we're talking college football. Chapel Fowler joined us from the state. It's a newspaper from the state in Columbia, South Carolina. And we talked to Clemson. It was an hour one. Just talked with Cody Goodwin from Bama 247 about all the things going on in Tuscaloosa. And some of the kids leaving Tuscaloosa. Nothing like a pro day. For departing Alabama players, and you'll see all the pro coaching staffs there, all the scouting uh, going on, everything. Oh, I was mentioning the Saban and um, the the Saban thread that runs through this, uh, the uber competitive thing. And the reason I, I went back to the Julio thing is not just the unique combination; he's the best player on the team, and then also so competitive. See that from wide receiver. Wide receiver is usually somebody, it's usually um, when you, and I'm going to say not usually, if there is a situation on a team with a lot of drama, a lot of times it's going to be a wide receiver because there's nowhere for that guy to hide. Um, A wide receiver is supposed to get some stats. And so even a corner, and you're in man all day and you give up some stats, well, he's supposed to. You know, batter is supposed to get on base some. If you're a wide receiver, they're the one position where just centers more than anything. You never got any of this from Julio. A wide receiver who finishes with one catch for 14 yards or, God forbid, you get a shutout, there's nowhere to hide. You didn't get open. And so that's why you didn't do your job. You had drops, whatever. That's why more than any other player on a football team, it's a wide receiver, any wide receiver it could be, pointing at the quarterback, yelling on the sidelines, get me the ball, like trying to deflect. It wasn't just me because more than any other position on the team – if it really is the wide receiver, we can all kind of see it. None of that from Julio, man. Never, but anything. Just so impressed by that guy. Um, broke his hand in the first half against South Carolina. Finished with like, I don't know. They lost the game. With a broken hand, I want to say he had like eight catches and a hundred and something yards and a touchdown with a broken hand. That's who he's like, no, nah, I'm good. Tape it. All right. Play ball. How's it going, Heath? You know, I, I was thinking about something I had forgotten about earlier, Chuck, with regards to the SEC and media days. We were talking about the scheduling and, and how they did and what they did. Do you remember the other quirk about this year's SEC media days being located in Dallas? Oh, no. No, it's still a Monday through Thursday. What? It's Monday through Thursday, but the thing is, 
that on the 16th, it is Major League Baseball's All-Star Game at the Rangers' place. The SEC has chosen to put their event in Dallas at the same time that Arlington hosts the MLB Home Run Derby on Monday night and then Tuesday night, the actual game itself. Uh, So I'm wondering about that, too, like how they scheduled some of this. I I assume that they have included that in their conversations about, okay, who realistically, like local media in Texas is probably, if you're talking about local TV stations, Going to be pretty busy on Monday and Tuesday. So let's make sure Sark and Mike Elko, not on Monday and Tuesday. And you talked about it getting lost in the sauce, Chuck. I was thinking you probably hadn't remembered this because I hadn't remembered it because it's February 29th and it's not exactly top of mind to be thinking about media days until the SEC announced this today. But this really is going to be a test for the SEC of, okay, we're trying to make this bigger. We aren't satisfied with a mall in Hoover anymore or even – uh, just a, a random appearance in Atlanta or or Nashville. We want to go. B. We want to go to a big time place and do something in a way we've never done as a conference before, outside of our classic footprint. And they're going head to head with MLB All Star. That's that's quite a choice. It really is, and I. I, I don't see any outcome other than they have a very well run um very professional informative event that hits the target on so many uh levels and if you are not there for the event there's a pretty good chance that you miss it um that's 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 an absolutely uh fair view of what's going to like i said that doesn't make it a bad event i'm saying that if you want it to be an event more than just a function it needs to be in a place where it's revered and it's not just going to be noticed. It's a mark on the calendar in Dallas. It's not a mark on the calendar. It's not going to get noticed. It will be something some folks walk past in the hallway and wonder why there's so many people at the hotel today. Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, look, it's going to be at the Omni in downtown Dallas and and Arlington is a good distance away from that. So you won't be dealing, I wouldn't think with that much spillover between the two. I'm sure there are some people who are going to go to the all-star game who come to town who might stay in downtown Dallas, but I assume more of them are going to try and stay out near the park itself where the events are. But uh, it, it just, I had totally forgotten about that. And then I was looking at the list. I'm like, okay, so wait a minute now. On Monday, Clark Lee makes a lot of sense. Shane Beamer is not a guy probably this year that has that much headline conversation going in. Use guys like that up on Monday. Use uh, a guy like Eli Drinkwitz up on a, a Tuesday, a Josh Heupel who doesn't talk a bunch on a Tuesday uh, you use use them up those days and then save some of your big guns like DeBoer and the Texas guys for after the All-Star game. Kind of makes sense to me now. Dice Clay is at the lounge. Eddie Murphy's in the big room. Um, it's it's a very skillful job of bouncing around uh, other events in a landscape that is not yours. And you're trying to, you're right, forge that new relationship. football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show 
week all year. It's all college football. Chuck Oliver Show, nine states and 66. Been doing it 10 years. Thank y'all. Appreciate that so much. This should be a real provocative story, like Eric Dickerson and the Trans Am. Um, I had mentioned Dale Carter in a story at a workout with Nick Saban and another scout earlier in the program. Uh, it says Dale Carter. It was Carl Pickens is who I was talking about. And the only reason I remembered that is because I wait a minute. Carl Pickens, he's the guy that had the Porsche when he was on campus. You're supposed to go, wait a minute. Carl Pickens drove a Porsche when he was a student. Now, I don't know, Jackson Dart's got a PJ. Like, I don't even know where, where student, I knew what to do with a Trans Am. I had an IROC. I knew what to do. I wouldn't know what to do with a private jet. Jackson Dart has one. This man has his own website, so he may fly PJ. From collegefootballnews.com, it's Pete Futak. Pete, how's the Thursday? How are you? Well, first of all, let's clear this up. Obviously, Eric Dickerson's Trans Am was given to him by his uncle, so, you know, you, you know, it's this family deal. Exactly. Family friends, you know, just the family friends were just allowing them to borrow the, the Porsche. So, I mean, so because nothing happened back then that would ever be untoward that you were suggesting. And that is the thing. You know, we joke, but that is the thing. Like, everyone's like, oh, my God, college football, and NIL, these kids today, they always got this. Now it's just defined as something like this is this is exactly what reggie bush and usc got hammered for and now it's what you're supposed to be doing you're supposed to have a marketing company you're supposed to have outside sources feeding your revenue this is how this is all supposed to be and everything was okay and everything's gonna be okay the same 19 teams that were good before are gonna still be good nothing really changes that drastically it's just these kids now get maybe a plane or two to fly around in once in a while Tell me, uh, as far as Jackson Dart, when he's not flying around on the jet, um, how good will he and Lane be in that offense this year? I'm not even – Quinshawn Judkins left. He scored like 70 touchdowns. I'm like, next, we're good. You know, you and I haven't talked since this, but I, I'm i still stunned that we're not talking about new Alabama head coach Lane Kiffin. I, I, that guy, is, is, if anything, is probably the most underrated head coach going. He's winning at Ole Miss. It gets lost in the, the history of stuff that nobody wins at Ole Miss, ever. No, no one wins 10 games a year on a consistent basis like he's about to. I know more games now and all that, but what he's doing at this program has been amazing, and he just, for whatever reason, he's not able to get that one extra step-up job to you know the true powerhouse. And if you're able to have the alumni who could afford stuff in an NIL era, why do you want to leave? Because Ole Miss is going to make the college football, expand college football playoffs this year. So uh, Jackson Dart's very good. Uh, whoever's in the quarterback in this system is very good. And you saw this. Yeah, I know the bowl games are all sort of weird, and you can't really take too much from them at this point. But you saw how that offense worked against a, a still-loaded Penn State defense. And that's still going to be the case this year. And now – you know, you can lose those two big games against the two big monsters in the SEC and get that nine seed in the college football playoff. And I guarantee you, no one's going to want to deal with Jackson Dart. No one's going to want to deal with that Ole Miss team uh, in the first or second round of a playoff coming up. By about 06 or so, 07, I think we all kind of looked at Tennessee and were like, they're off a little bit. And then a decade later, we were like, yeah, maybe Phil Fulmer was just an aberration. Um 
Tell me where Auburn football is going to be in like 10 or 15 years. Are we going to look back at this magical period with Pat Dye and Tuberville and whatever and, and just say, well, that was weird. But, I mean, because Auburn, you're, you're towing the line to be in four or five years of not competitive outside of individual Saturdays. How about the Gene Chizik era? You know, how about the, you know, look, you know, it all gets got gets forgotten that that monster all-timer of a Florida State team was, you know, one drive away from losing yep. and Gus Malzahn being a, a you know, historic figure there. Look, it, going forward, it, it is, and this goes for all the SEC teams outside of the Vanderbilt of the world, where it's going to be, look, you're, you're, you're setting the bar going forward at 9-3. and 9-3 and three in the past for Auburn, you know, is is a good year, but okay, you're an also ran among the other SEC teams. Going forward, it's going to be you know nine and three. You've got a shot at one of those playoff spots, especially if they expand to fourteen. Uh, and going under you know, Q Freeze, they can do that. I mean, they, oh my gosh, the SEC is so much better now. It's still gettable. You know, it's still. You're still going to have enough non-conference games to build up wins. You're still going to have enough games against you know the teams that are down on a year every year or so, uh, where you can be competitive. No, Auburn might not be the SEC champion, you know, unless something they catch fire and some sort of miraculous thing happens. Now that we're not in a two-division system, but you don't need that anymore. So uh, it, we're going to all going to have to reconfigure how we consider, think of college football, and especially in the SEC. Where again, you can be really good and go ten and two and beat your head against the wall, and then Alabama and Georgia go off and play for the, the SEC championship. So for Auburn going forward, yeah, with that Hugh Freeze offense, you, you got to catch fire with a couple up, up the, get a couple upsets in there, shoot for ten and two, hope for nine and three, and then go from there. Bama with Saban, like here's that in a nutshell. They had a game against, I think it was New Mexico or New Mexico State one day. And like the first play, it was a bubble to Henry Ruggs, and he took it 75 yards. And like I kept watching. I was like, it's Bama, it's Saban. We're going to watch. I I realized I think differently. Uh, snap your fingers. I think of Alabama differently now. What about you? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, of course. I mean, this program kind of keep it going, and that's they were just different. You know, you hear NFL guys all the time say, well, that, you know, Tyree Kill, he's just different. Alabama was just different. I remember it was the Peach Bowl, I think it was, when they were playing Washington, the, the first round of the college football yeah. playoff. And I remember standing there with the other, all the other media types and we're watching Washington work out. And here's a, a really good team. I mean, they, they beat a great Stanford team. They won the, the Pac-12 and were really strong. They, they, were, they were legit good. And while we were like, gosh, they, you know, they look pretty athletic. And, you know, one of the, I can't remember who it was, kind of turned and like, you haven't seen Alabama run out here yet. I'm like, yeah, I did. And like, well, just wait. They're, they're, they look different. And you could see it. Every single guy at every single position looked about two inches taller and about 20 pounds heavier. I mean, it just, it's just a different look and feel of the talent level they were able to get there. And it, 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 what's the old saying that the, the whole, everything about Jack Nicholas and his era was like, yeah, okay, he won all those majors. But he also came in second like 20 times. You know, there was always like yeah. there's always weird that you could do that with Saban to death. I, mean, I did it somewhere where it's not just all the titles and all the championships. It's how ridiculously consistent, close he was. You could point to like the literally seven different plays and say there, but for those seven plays, you're probably talking about a 10 times save national champion save an error or so it's just it's so amazing how consistently great they were and it's going to be tough because you can't replicate that Caleb DeBoer is going to be great Alabama's not going to quit playing football or anything but you just can't 
keep that magic going. It's just unsustainable. Even if it was Nick Saban back, that was just such a high level for so long. It really was uh, a historic level of football that we're, I just, there's no way we're seeing that again. You're old enough. That's a compliment, by the way. You're old enough. You remember how Larry Bird got drafted? Like the Celtics drafted him in the first round, and the NBA was like, you know he may not come out, and they're like, no, we're taking him anyway. And the NBA was like, uh, loophole, we got to close this. So they waited around yeah. a year, and then they got Larry Bird. This is just a fanciful thing. This is how much I think of Carson Beck. If I was an NFL team, I'd spend a first-round pick on Carson. I'd do the Larry Bird thing. I'd draft him this year and say, no, we'll, we'll, we'll sign him after the season. I, I think you, you that kid. You can't do that, though, can you? No, 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 you can't. You can't. I'm saying if you could, that's how much I think of Carson Beck. You like I, would, I would stash a first-round pick and just pick the guy. I think he's tall, strong arm, great coach, wide receivers everywhere. I think he, he may be the guy at quarterback for this coming season. Yeah, we're about to find out really fast. And you never know who that next Jade Daniels is going to be coming out of nowhere because every year – you know, we, last year we thought Jaden Daniels was good, but now he might be. I mean, there's legitimate. I mean, there's a guy. There's they're, they're going to take Caleb Williams, but there's legitimate thought that you know what we we have to do our due diligence here and, and, and just at least interview and make sure you know see what we want here. Uh, but yeah, he's really good. I mean, that's that, that's all you need is a team that's already got that much talent to have a quarterback who's just that good. Uh, but in terms of the NFL. There's only 32 of these starting jobs, and while everyone wants turnover every year, uh, it's especially with after this draft where you're going to see five, maybe six guys go in the first round, yep. and maybe the the top three are going to go. You know, it, and then you're going to have free agents going all over the place where you're going to have to drop five million to get a Gardner Minshew, and you know, heaven knows what they're going to do with Justin Fields and all. So, so yeah, it, 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 I know you're joking on your point, but. You just wait it out with quarterbacks because soon I'm not going to say quarterback's going to be the new running back at NFL. That's just not the case. Uh, but certainly it's a limited job, and we're seeing it here in Chicago with this Caleb Williams, Justin Field stuff. All right, last thing, and this is I'm I'm transparent. We we broadcast once a month from Harris uh, Caesar Sportsbook at Harris in North Carolina. Um, nice. I'm looking at season totals. And I see UCLA going to a bigger batter conference, and they're in a really, really difficult spot. Um, and I'm looking at an under for them. I'm looking at an under for SMU going to the ACC because everything they did was on such a smaller scale. And the trend of teams that, quote, trade up into a new conference, it's just a different roster. You get speed bagged that first year uh, in most cases. Tell me what you think about SMU or UCLA or both. You remember all that time we spent and everyone, all in the national media was saying, oh, gosh, Cincinnati, they do, UCF deserves to be in here. It's like, wait a minute here. They, they, don't, they only play like one or two games against Power 5 teams every year. They, they did not play. Uh, it, it, yes, you can ever, these teams are good enough to win one game against the Power 5 team. Okay, so you beat, you know, in the Big Ten. Let's say you beat Maryland one week. Okay, then you beat Illinois. Okay, now beat Penn State. Now beat Michigan State. Now beat Wisconsin. Now beat it's like the the power. And what did we see? All of a sudden, the Big Twelve they take on Cincinnati, they take on Houston, they take on UCF, they take on BYU, and I believe they all kind of got 
pile driven into the ground. They were, you know, the, the Houston was the easy out every week. Cincinnati was awful. It, it's not, you know, obviously there's transition there and it takes a little while. It took five years or so for TCU to get up to speed when they went into the big 12. So this takes a little bit and you're right. I think that forgive me for not remembering this off the top of my head. I seem to think that the SMU win total was ridiculously high. Um, Six and the and only thing yeah, for, for that. The only part about that, though, is SMU gets everyone back. And you want to talk about, you know, the Ole Miss, you know, private Jets thing. They pretty much crushed the transfer portal, too. But I do, if you look at their schedule, it's not that bad. But remember, they didn't beat a Power 5 team last nope. year. So I, nope. uh, I do think that. in UCLA, I think that, what were they at, four and a half or something really low yeah. or something crazy? Yeah, so, I, yeah, because you don't know what Deshaun Foster is going to do. By the way, it's the first time I got this right. I keep calling Deshaun Watson. I'm going to do that for his entire career. But Deshaun Foster. Totally don't know different exactly guys, what he's gonna, Exactly. <laughs> we're not sure what he's going to do as a new head coach. who's never been a coach, head coach before. Uh, you're right. It's a turnover and talent. Uh, he's got a good staff he's starting to put together. But uh, that is definitely an X factor. Four and a half, I like a little over. SMU, I like a little under. All right, if you want a little thing to look at, just a little one brain cell to devote to this. The ultimate hustle here, because we mentioned BYU, I'll give them credit. My understanding, BYU came up with this. They're the first school, and now others do it. They're using name, image, likeness money to fund extra scholarships. Like, we don't get 85 kids. Oh, the walk-on. Yeah. We have a we have a walk-on who we're fully funding, so it's a kid who could be on scholarship. I mean, it's not a preferred walk-on because he's not good enough but wants to try. Absolutely, and BYU was first there. When you add an extra 15 to 20 scholarship kids to a roster, that's not nothing, man. It's not, and I, I know this enough of this to, to kind of speak to it, but forget, I, I apologize if I get this sort of wrong. You have to remember also that BYU is a different sort of place where uh, do make sure that uh, the, the kids who go there are absolutely able to uh, support themselves and able to get to go through that because of the affiliations and other things that 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 is a little bit different of a situation. But you're right. Uh, the money is there to do that. And it's, you know, what's that? It's the old, you know, going old school Alabama. Isn't that what Bear Bryant kind of used to do? He used to get unlimited uh, scholarships. Exactly, 184 players, and just like you know, guys who start everywhere else would be their third team, and that's. But that's you know, that's fine. You know, you got extra players, you get them for that. That's 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 going to be fine. But the guys who are going to want to play are obviously going to want to go somewhere else. So, hey, look, strength in numbers—that's a big thing, and I, I do think that's a. Uh, that's not the worst thing in the world. Now, me personally, I don't know why you'd give your hard-earned money to a collective to pay for college sports talent, uh, but okay, that's me. But these places are finding the money to do it, and they're going to get really, really creative with it going forward. Pete, thank you for your time. No, Chuck. Pete Futak, collegefootballnews.com. It is not nothing, man. Look down, I got an extra five, eight, ten players. BYU is one of those uh, programs that there's a small collection of schools. Well, it's just different here. I mentioned the three service academies. No name, image, likeness at all for Air Force, Army, or uh, Navy players. But they're different in that everybody at the school, they have unlimited scholarships. They don't operate the same anyway. Like, they, they bring every kid who comes in, every freshman comes in on full scholarship. So their numbers just don't count. There are some other places like BYU. Their numbers of players who go on the two-year, like it's above 50%. was the last time I looked. and I I don't know the updated numbers, but uh, I talked about this maybe a year ago, year and a half ago. 
that BYU, the number of players who go on the two-year mission, and it's a special uh, allowance from the NCAA, and should be, that maybe you go to BYU for a year or two or whatever, then you go away for a couple of years, then you come back, and so you have physically older, stronger, more able, because it matters. T- difference between a 28-year-old and a 26-year-old in the NFL, nothing. 20, a 24-year-old and a 22-year-old even, 21-year-old, and there are times he goes against a 19-year-old. Yeah, that's a big, big deal. And so that's just one of those kind of baked-in things. And so in the area, name, image, likeness, man. Get creative, no doubt. All right, uh, time for a break, and then we wrap. College football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. You know, this is ultimately why you coach. You get to be with the players. You get to get on the field. And more importantly, you get to, you know, build a team. And even though we we all have the same, you know, wear the same color jersey, you got the paw and all that stuff, it still doesn't make you a team. You know, you have to, you have to uh, earn that and you have to develop that year in and year out. As they hit the field for spring, Babo letting everybody know what one of the things, uh, what he is after in spring. And it starts to be, all right, this group starts to kind of cohese. It's sort of got 85 cats running around. And then all of a sudden you realize, well, maybe they're all kind of between the 20s. And then there's like a circle, maybe around the 40. And then like everybody's on their knee around the pole. Um, that is kind of what you're hoping, at least. Uh, and there's one of those goals that it is there a number attached to it? No. Is it a particular player? Sometimes yes, the quarterback it needs to be. But that is just one of his goals that he has uh, for the coming spring. Um, that's what matters to me. It's brought to you by thisstuffmatters.net. We do that every show at the end. What's up, Heath? Uh, look at a couple of different things here, Chuck. One is uh, just a quick update on something that we had had a guest on about earlier in the week about uh, the South Carolina receivers coaching job opening up after just six weeks. James Coley on the move to Georgia. They have made their hire. Mike Furry, who our guest had mentioned at the time, the uh, head coach of Limestone University, becomes the second guy now to leave a head coaching job and join Beamer's staff in the last couple of weeks. Uh, But this note from Furry's contract, uh, if he leaves between now and June 30th, he would owe South Carolina $850,000. The buyout drops to $350,000 after that for July 1st. So South Carolina making it abundantly clear, we're not going to let that crap happen to us again. Whatever else, if somebody, if an NFL team knows Mike Furry and wants to hire him, you're going to have to really, really, really want to hire Mike Furry badly at this point to uh, We will to do get that to, to spring with this guy. Yes. Yeah, uh, I, I, I am... Impressed by the level of commitment to just saying, no, you're, you're not going to do that to us again. Uh, Chuck, one thing that um, is getting some attention is what's going on with the Army-Navy game. The reality is the expanded playoff is going to likely force some games further up the calendar. And I'm wondering about a couple of different things here. One, uh, it's been pointed out that what will probably happen is with playoffs taking that week after Army-Navy for some of their games, those bowl games like the New Mexico Bowl and, and some other bowls that typically are that week, I think the uh, the RNL Carriers Bowl in New Orleans, some of those kind of games, those games will probably move 
up to the same week as Army-Navy. And since they're ESPN properties, not only will Army-Navy not be a standalone weekend, it might not even get a standalone time window. Uh, They might have those games up against them. Now, I don't know whether people would be more likely to watch the, uh, again, the the New Mexico Bowl if they think it's a more competitive game than Army-Navy. But it's just unfortunate that that game, which is kind of its own standalone thing, is, is now almost certainly going to get diminished in some way. Yeah, if we'll say if Championship Saturday was December 2nd, then it would be the next Saturday, December 9th, which was sort of the open Saturday for college football before the bowl started the next week. Now, the one dice roll was if ever Army or Navy would hold up the playoff seedings. If it was just a chain of two or three bowls, Heath, you're right, that was always worked out, but there was no real chance, not really, that Army or Navy was ever going to make the playoff committee hold up seeds one, two, three, or four. One through 14, maybe. Well, there's that. And then also, too, Chuck, I mean, here's my thing. Let's say it happens. Let's say that those bowls that are that week after them right now get moved up to that week. Are we going to see schools just say, hey, I don't, I don't even want to go, man. I'm not even going to bother. Because, I mean, the whole point of these bowl games for a lot of schools is exposure, one, and two, those extra practices. Chuck, if you're playing you're like on, like, the 9th of December, you're getting, like, five practices. How yeah. much good's that doing anybody? So at that point, it's a money loser for these schools almost always anyway. Why even go? There are teams that turn down the NIT. There are. Notre Dame turned down a bowl. Other teams have turned down bowls before. Rare, and there's usually an asterisk beside it. But it is something that may be the business decision. More programs begin to make. Wraps it up on Thursday, back in 22 hours. All of us. See y'all then. Hey, it's Buck here today with my good friend and vice president of the Jim Ellis Automotive Group, Stacy Ellis. Stacy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking, Buck. So how are things at Jim Ellis Automotive these days? Things are good. I mean, of course, we're still adjusting to the loss of my dad, who was running the business, and my grandparents, who founded the company, but we're finding our way. Stacy, I can't imagine that, that kind of loss in such a short period of time, let alone the impact on the business. Fortunately, we surrounded ourselves with a great team, so that really helps us a lot. Now, any truth to the rumors about Jim Ellis being sold? (laughs) We have no plans to sell the business. If anything, we're looking to grow. In addition to some new facilities, we're going to focus on what's worked in the past, making car buying quick, easy, and convenient. Well, speaking from experience, Stacy, I couldn't be happier with my recent purchase from Jim Ellis. That's great. Our motto is expect the best. Visit JimEllis.com. All the information you need is just a click away. Doesn't get any easier than that. Find your next vehicle at Jim Ellis Automotive. Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team? Build a new office? Hey, it's Tug, and I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. 